When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 533 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dane Hopin. He's Rafa Aldemui, a.k.a. at Aldemui Football. But please excuse our voices here. It's pretty late here in the eastern United States and down in Puerto Rico. And you and I, we weren't together, but we already did other broadcasts before this one. We put our <laughs> other mics down and then put these mics up. But, you know, the heart gets what the heart wants in this case. And what the heart wants is another discussion about that <laughs> last, uh, yesterday. I mean, it feels like it was so long ago, but yeah, just yesterday, that Porto match, by the time you're hearing this, it'll be Thursday. It is currently Wednesday night. So if anything changes or anything like that, sure. But yeah, we're going to talk about Porto and we're going to preview Atletico Madrid because with Frankie de Young and Pedri, not to say that Raya Vallecana wasn't things to think about, but Again, smarter people than I even, and I go look at uh, Albert on Twitter. You can follow him or find him wherever, Albert Blaya, Sensat, or The Purist. Some of the ideas that they put out there is kind of true that sometimes there are times when you look right at the opponent, like Raya Vallecano, who play a 4-4, or yes, a 4-4-2, there we go, a 4-4-2, high press, pedal to the metal, especially at home. They play the same way against every single team, and you kind of just have to solve that puzzle. But in the case of Porto, and even in the case of Atletico Madrid, these are big matches with really talented players on the other team that are malleable 
And you've got to be the better side and almost inflict your will on the other team. As contrary as that might seem, that it's it's almost more difficult to enact your will on a team that's going to play the same way every single time. When I say that, I also mean low to medium blocks, as opposed to teams that are as talented as you and are going to try to get you out of your shell and are going to play, we'll say, with you. And I think Porto was an example of that. And there's, I think, a lot of talking points. I went long on the five headlines on tactics. This is going to be, a, I'd say, for me at least, I can promise, a heavy tactic show. And then looking at Atletico Madrid, we'll preview that at the end. But before we do any of that, Rafa, that was two and a half minutes of preamble. All to say, happy 124th birthday to SC Barcelona. I, I we're not that old. I mean, you and I are we're getting there, but we weren't we weren't we weren't that old. I mean, I was alive enough for Kuman, Sandoria, and all that stuff. As much as my mermaid does not remember it, but I was alive for that stuff. But 124 years ago. And looking at the history of the club, I'm not going to do this whole thing. I could do that on another day, especially for the 125th. I'll start working on that now. But it is interesting to me that the first, like what, 70 years of the club from like the late 1800s, they were able to survive, kind of figure it all out. And I guess 1929, professionalism, the league and all that stuff kind of kickstarts, you know, 1929 kickstarts Barcelona in this professional way in the Liga outside of the Catalan championship. And then, you know, Barca doesn't really even enter Europe. I mean, Real Madrid, because it was just a league winner's go. So Barcelona get there in, in 62 or 61, rather, 61 against uh, losing Benfica to the final. But like European, Europe wasn't really Europe. And it's really like in our lifetimes, like the last 20 years or so, that football and social media has done this and, and major money and broadcast rights and ownership groups in different leagues. Like the idea of like football and money in football has just accelerated to unfathomable degree. So it's like, I feel so silly looking at the first, like again, 70, 80 years of the club and being like, well, that's kind of one thing. And then basically everything else since that. And then it's triple that for Barcelona because they had a player named Lionel Messi and Xavi and Inesta and all these other players in the last 15, 20 years as well. So it's just like these two different histories of Barca are just like part one. And then recently part two. And named I mean, it's, it's crazy to think that how, I mean, how, historic this club is 1899 i always get them mixed up like all the eights and the nines and whatnot so hopefully they didn't get it wrong but yeah like you said it's just if you think about it like there's so much history whether it's on the pitch or outside the pitch this is fc barcelona it's a club that has so much rich history not only i know it's it's a football club so it, it should only have football history but it's that's why it's more than a club and to think about that, we're still going strong 124 years later and uh, all the ups and downs. And I don't know if right now is I don't know how you classify right now, if we are like in the middle down of the of that roller coaster. But yeah, it's uh, I mean, for me, it's been I became a Barcelona fan. I always say it because of Ronaldinho after the 20 the 2002 World Cup. Uh, I know he got to Barcelona in 03, but, but it's because of Ronaldinho, that Brazil team, that World Cup, that free kick against Simon against England. I was like, wow, like who, who's this Brazilian guy? And then the rest is, is history, and we've we've had so many incredible moments. But I think, well, right now, I think it's about to be almost 20 years for me now as well. We're in 2023. So there's been so, so many good moments. But there's been some like top low moments as well, if you think about it. So 
It's been one hell of a ride. I don't regret absolutely anything. I love this club, the good and the bad. For the whether you like that aspect of that or not about the club, there's never a dull moment in this club. Again, whether that's good or bad. And I I can't complain. They they consume a lot of my time, my emotional sanity. But I wouldn't trade it for anything anything in the world, honestly. Yeah, well, since I started to jump on board, I've said before it was what was it? It was a FIFA, of course. I mean, in the United States, I really didn't have much access to watching, but I played along with what was at the time FIFA 2001 or whatever it was called at the time. <laughs> so that's when I started to dabble with the, with the proper uniform. And again, the team wasn't very good at the time. But Xavi is a name that has been in my life as long as I have supported the club. So for 22 years or so, and he's going to be, I think, where we begin this conversation about Porto because again, maybe, yeah, it's just me doing it the way I do it, where I kind of try to think of legacy and I always step out of you know the big picture of it. And for Xavi, coming into this match, Laporta said, I support Xavi, which whenever the, the president says, I support the manager, that means that I hear you, he's on the hot seat, so I'm letting you know I support him, which also means that we're aware that you don't support him where there are people that are calling for his head already, or that seat is at least getting hotter. And if Xavi had not made, somehow found a way to bottle this group in the Champions League... Xavi, as I I had said last week, even that Xavi would not have been the manager August fifteenth of this year. Like I would have said, he would played out the year. But if he had not made the Champions League knockout stages, I don't think that he would have been manager of FC Barcelona. I don't think he would have been fired immediately. But I, I don't think he. I think he just kind of leaves the club. He just they give him a a farewell and say, hey, hopefully you can win the Liga. Right, we went for the skipper. But if you crash out in the Champions League, then it, it'll pretty much be a six month or seventh month on. Uh, for her tour, I should say, for Xavi as manager of Barcelona. So that was my sense heading into that match. And not that a, a very narrow win against Porto changes that, but I think Barcelona making the knockouts, winning their group, just, again, essential <laughs> to Xavi continuing on. And I, I'm going to start this as well with a hot take. I'm thinking of Xavi's legacy already, because it's true. Like It's already to a point where it's been now two years. So that's already enough time for other managers to having come and gone at Barcelona or having done some winning. And he does have that Liga Shore. But here's my hot take for you up front. Watching that match yesterday and watching that match against Rivarcano, as fun as Ansu has been and Gabi and the inclusion of Balde and the end of Busquets and different players and Ter Stegen, Araujo, his ascension and Lewandowski, big names. Frankie de Jong is the player that when I think back to Xavi as manager of FC Barcelona, regardless of the winning that is done, the Liga's Champions League, whatever, Frankie de Jong will best represent Xavi's time as manager. And watching those games yesterday, and it probably has to do a lot with the injuries to Pedri, but watching that game yesterday, if Frankie de Jong is the best player on the field, then it, it, it has you not question a lot of the questions that come Xavi's way. <sighs> Let me take a deep breath because, one, I think, and I think this has been a big error when we've analyzed Xavi, and when I say we've, I include everyone, is that I think some people are mixing Xavi, the legend, the Barcelona player, and what Xavi has or hasn't done yet as a manager in his two-year stint at the moment. 
And I think a lot of people are, I don't know, throwing him the towel in a way, I would say, when we try to analyze as cold as possible his two years and what he's able to achieve, what he has been able to achieve or hasn't been able to achieve on the pitch. And when I, especially I, I've been, and I still am, I'm very critical of Xavi, the manager, because I still haven't seen a progression in almost two years in a way, in the way that I would have liked. For example, and I've said this numerous times here in your podcast, what, Xavi always speaks on press conferences pre and post, and I stream 95% of post-game uh, press conferences on my YouTube channel, he always talks about what he wants to do, what the team wanted to do via him and wasn't able to. But in almost two years, it's been the same thing. It's like, for whatever reason, the students, a.k.a. the players, don't understand what you're trying to do because you always say, oh, we should have found the third man. We weren't able to do that, this and that. And I'm like, yo, that's your job. Like you're supposed to be the teacher. And if they're not understanding what you're trying to teach them for whatever reason, unbeknownst to me, because obviously we're not at the training ground, then something is missing along the line. And it's such a recurrent event, especially this season in which, It doesn't matter what team we're facing. Like you you said, like you were talking about tactics when we started the podcast. We may be facing a low block, a Hetafe. We may be facing a mid block, a team that presses you all the way up. We may be facing, we face different types of teams throughout the entire season. And to me, at least, it seems that no matter who the hell we face, we always, or for the most part, more often than not, always have a problem trying to break that team. We can't find spaces, whether it's a low, medium, or high block, be tactically. Like our players, you, Frankie has the ball, Frankie De Jong has the ball, and he doesn't have any passing options. He has to just squirm around, fake his way left, right, twist and turn, and all in order to get by somebody and then be able to create a passing link. But... Tactically, Xavi placing his players on the pitch, we don't have open options. And then when you look at the other teams, it seems like every team, whether it's Granada, Mallorca, Real Madrid, Porto, whoever it may be, two, three passes, and they always, like that, Like it's like they have a Swiss knife, and they're able to butcher us up down the middle with two or three passes. So I'm like, it can't be real that every single manager gets it right for the most part against us and shall can't get it right against them for the most part when you think of great duos who do you think of jordan and pippen or lebron and dwayne wade i mean i talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast but for the barcelona version there's pk and puyol or pk and mascherano or the easy example of xavi and iniesta And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 
up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Because we watch every Barcelona game, it to me, it's almost, uh, what is it, like the butterfly effect or the, or the dominoes of thinking, right? I say A, that means B, that must mean C, that must mean D. When for other teams, like I'm watching Porto, and their success was that they had Taremi playing in between Kunde and Inigo Martinez, kind of just as a center forward does, right? Trying to create space in between the two center backs. And then Galeno would just run in behind him. And they would run right down the middle. And that's exactly what they did. And they did it over and over. And I'm like, and the goal was scored off of one of those same moves. And I'm like, that doesn't seem too complicated. The way Porto is going A to B makes sense. And then for Barta, uh, for Barca, it's not even that I'm being apologetic. But, and it sounds like I'm being apologetic for Xavi too. But I, I'm merely trying to look through the problems and from understanding the best I can from a tactical nuance perspective understand the problems that he's facing and how he's attempting to solve those problems. And again, they won the match. So in theory, there were problems that were solved, but are those the over? Is there, there a difference between solving a problem in a match, which he did, he solved the problem in that match and Cancelo having a 10 to 10 performance. We'll talk about him later. Certainly did that. But we also understand having watched that match that it doesn't feel to your point, like Xavi has solved any overarching 
problems at all. And he hasn't in two years solved any overarching problems, which I think are two different things. Because now this season, it's been seven different matches that Barcelona have won or drawn from losing positions. So Xavi continues to solve problems this season throughout a game when he's already kind of had the issue. And when it came to this game, and what I feel like is going to be the case in the next few weeks, or I mean months actually, without Gabi, and without an actual pivot that is above the level of Ordo Romeo, let's add that qualifier, that if you're going to start your three best midfielders, which are without Gabi now, easily, it's Frankie de Jong, it's Ilke Gundogan, and it's Pedri. Those are your three best midfielders. Easy. And I don't want to, again, concerning yesterday's game, I'm almost going to go against Xavi and say the two solutions that he had were rather simple. Was one, he put in the second half, Pedri and Gundogan, and he said, hey, we have to have enough control over this game. We got to get Pedri and Gundogan on the ball. Like We have to get those two guys on the ball and move that line of confrontation from our midfield. I know a lot of confrontation is usually about the back line, but you understand what I'm saying, that we need to make sure that if we're turning the ball over, we're doing it in their third of the field, and we're putting, under, we're putting them under more pressure. And we're putting ourselves in a better pl- places to even lose the ball and succeed higher up the field and getting Pedri involved. Because it was pointed out that he was, that being Pedri, visibly frustrated. Because to me, when I first saw that game, the, the setup, I was confused because I thought it was going to win as like a single pivot in a traditional buildup when they were in Porto's third of the field. But because De Jong is also, we're helping with numerical overloads off to the left and having this free roll in the middle and over to the right whenever Barcelona has possession, that means Gundogan wasn't really defending as the pivot though. He was also pushing forward or trying to be the late runner into the box, which leaves your open, wide open in the middle of the field. And Pedri was also farther forward on the right side because again, De Jong was coming back to receive the ball in his half of the field, which to me, to your point, it feels like Xavi's instructions in, are, are too complicated in the phases of play. As if when you're in your half of the field, you do this, and this player does this, and this player does that. But then when we get in their half of the field, you do this and you do that. But it all gets undone by, I'm not dragging him, Rafinha had a really good work rate, all the nice things we say about Rafinha, really good work rate, I mean, work rate, tried really hard defensively, all that stuff. And I, I thought in the second half, he was a little bit better about being decisive. But there was a play there, I, I don't remember when it happened, but he winds up fainting to his left, so cuts inside like he always does. Pedri is coming behind him to support him in rest defense. It's a term that I, I use aplenty. It's where you're set up when you have the ball to defend when you lose it. And Rafinha makes this double move because Frankie de Jong and Gunnarwin are also prepared for him to release the ball. He never does. He keeps on it. And by making that extra move and not kind of keeping with the rhythm and the flow of what comes next in theory in this system that's very positional play-oriented... Now your three midfielders are all out of position for that counterattack from Porto. And I'm not blaming Rafinha, but I'm saying it's like either Xavi, if you got the loosey-goosey forwards you've got who are just all vibes, like it's again, Lewandowski, I can't defend him. It just feels like it's a lot of vibes, whether he wants to be onside, when he wants to be offside, when he wants to check to the ball, when he doesn't. Like It seems like a lot of vibes from this genius experienced player in Lewandowski. And if you're going to trust him and those vibes, same thing with Rafinha, if you're going to trust him and his vibes, or you're going to trust Balde or Cancelo or whatever your left back is to leave that space in behind and get forward, then there has to be some kind of progression in those ideas. Either you give them support and just say, hey, go ahead, 1v1, freedom up front. We have to keep our three midfielders who are not ball winners. Young is not a ball winner. Grunewitz is not a ball winner. And Pedri is not a ball winner. So they have to be in the best positions to help them succeed and get the ball back. 
Because again, they're not just natural 1v1 in space ball winners. And most defensive midfielders in the world are not. That's clear. But if you're going to have that kind of possession in that third, then you cannot have all of this extra stuff happening without proper movement. Because then if Rafinha is going to make that extra move, you have got to have either Jao Felix or Cancelo overlapping, or it's Lewandowski making one of those runs to the half spaces. And that ball has to be released forward from Rafinha's foot. He cannot just give it away in the middle of the field like that because these counters from these other teams are coming so, so easily. So it's like, it's not that Pedri and Gundogan not being close enough to the young. And I understand spatially, that's the problem. But tactically, the, the small little, again, nuance of Rafinha not doing exactly the thing that his teammates even expect of him. To your point, I don't understand exactly what Xavi's instructions are from half to half. I do know that, again, Pedri dropped deeper. That was a huge part of the second half tactics. So the heat map for Pedri is now closer to Young, closer to Gundogan, and they weren't as direct. And that kind of worked for this midfield trio. There are times when you're like, oh, Barca's not direct enough, and then Barca's too direct. And I don't know. I agree with you. I'm not entirely sure what Xavi's, what, what Xavi's ideas are because the only thing that worked in that game was those long diagonal balls. It was the one thing. Inega Martinez, De Young, Pedri, those diagonal balls is how both goals were scored and how Barcelona were able to put a little bit of pressure on Porto. One thing that you mentioned, and I completely agree, I think Xavi, and it's because of something he said so much during his post-game press conferences, I think he overcomplicates everything for the players because he mentions a lot, like he emphasizes so much to not lose the ball in dangerous situations because obviously that leads to dangerous counterattacks. So if you instill that in the mind of you really young players, Gabi, Balde, Pedri still, Lamin Yamal, so automatically you're like, I can't lose the ball. I can't lose the ball. So of course, even if it's a, if it's unconsciously, you're gonna be you're not gonna be that risky. And then at the same time, he's like Oh, but we 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 gotta be a little bit. Uh, we gotta. Ah, what's the word that I wanna that I wanna use in English? Like when we're when we're the, from the final third onward, we gotta be uh, riskier. We gotta take chances. So you got this conundrum in in their head of, damn, like when exactly when do I have to be cautious and when do I have to take a risk? Because that's counterintuitive. It's like. You gotta be safe, but at the same time, you gotta try something different. Go by somebody, make a through ball pass in a dangerous area. So you're like, I can't lose the ball because that's a big no no. But at the same time, you're asking me to, hey, be brave, do something different, risk. And I think that's one of the reasons why everybody's so confused because they're two completely different things. And then, Don't get me started on the on the forwards like the chill, the vibes. Like Rafinha, for the good and the bad, we know what kind of player he is. He's almost what twenty seven now. He's not gonna change. He is what he is. Whether you really rate above anything else his uh, work rate, which I completely agree, he worked his butt off throughout the entire game, or you're not a big fan of him like I am because you don't think he's. Like, especially in the Champions League, if you want to do something in the Champions League, I think you need a player of higher quality than Rafinha. Like, how many times Rafinha was given the ball in a great situation for him to do something running right at the defense? And I would say nine times out of ten, not saying necessarily he had ten 
occasion occasions, but nine out of ten, he did the wrong thing. He lost the ball. He got dispossessed. He did the wrong. The only time I think he did something well was when he kind of like did a step over and then laid the ball to I think it was Joao Felix, and then obviously Joao Felix just skied the ball. For the most part, and that seems to be a the narrative with Rafinha. He usually does the wrong thing, for the most part, at least in my eyes. Well, and I, pressing between Jao Felix, you bring him up, Jao Felix mm. and Rafinha, because Rafinha even yesterday, and other people were also mentioning this too, and this is right, that he, when he goes to put his body between the opponent and the ball, and he kind of stops the ball and is looking for that foul, that gets Barcelona out of their rhythm. So offensively, when they're in the attacking half of the field, you got to kind of let that go, like take that contact and keep moving on. I mean, that's what Lamine Yamal does. That's what the dribblers do, right? They kind of take that contact, they keep it moving. But then when you're in your half of the field, we see why Xavi starts him because he also takes that foul the same way, puts his body between the opponent and the ball. And that's a tactical foul that kind of slows everything down, which is what you want to do when you're defending and you're on the back foot. And Rafinha does those good things. But to your point too, Xavi Felix and Rafinha yesterday, it seemed like they had these good moments. I'm like staring at my notes and I'm like, Okay, good thing Jao Felix did. Okay, good thing Rafinha did. Okay, bad thing Jao Felix did. Bad thing Rafinha did. And it seems like between the three of them, Lewandowski, Jao Felix, and at Baron Torres is this too, all four of them, I could say, it feels like they do good things. And so you can come out of a game if you've got the biases to try to defend that player. There are good things to always point to. With you. They're really talented players. And also, if you hate them, there's always things to point to poorly. What I think happens when we say the forwards don't take their chances is that it seems like this group, this group, this crop of forwards can never both do two things well at the same time. To your point about the cutback, Rafinha's best ball, as you said, of that game was that cutback to Jao Felix, and he skies it to the moon. And then Jao Felix also scores a really good one-time goal from Kinsella that he passes in the back of net. And you're like, why can't you do that every time? And I think that's the nature of these McCurdo forwards that Barcelona has, is that they can do good things. But then the other one doesn't finish the chance. And then when the other one creates a thing and does something well, then the other one doesn't finish the chance. And it, it does, right? It does seem like that. And I think there is, if you watch other teams too, like I'm not being apologetic to them, but there are other teams too where not every forward finishes every ball every single time. Like not every team, every team has a weakness somewhere along some forward line. They either have a left winger that they wish was better or a right, a right winger they wish was better or they don't have a, a forward that does X, Y, Z. And, and I think those are the concerns. But fortunately for Barcelona, now let's talk about Cancelo here. At left back, does that solve a problem? Did Xavi learn something? Or did Jao Cancelo just have the best game of the season that we're going to see in a Barcelona uniform? And that is not going to be repeated. What do you think? <sighs> That's a tough question. And then I also want to say this. like the, the same way I criticize Xavi when he gets something wrong. I don't know about the whole experiment of having Araujo on the right instead of in the middle, your best defender. I think he got that wrong. But I think I am a fair critic to also mention and really like applaud what he got right because we were when I saw the starting 11, I was like, oh, wow. Like benching Balde, putting Cancelo on the left. Like if that doesn't turn out well that's something people are gonna really nag on Xavi and if there was one thing that he got right on was Cancelo on the left because especially uh, attacking wise because Cancelo as a left winger basically was just phenomenal incredible it was just insane because it wasn't oh he scored one goal like Joao Felix he had like really one good play and whatnot 
But like he, Cancelo was amazing throughout the entire game. And I was like, he's a better, at least in this game, if you look at him, you're like, he's a better left winger than Ferran. Uh, and that's protocol. I mean, Ferran plays all over the place, right wing, center forward, whatnot. But you're like, I don't know if this is a solution for the entire season. I have no idea. But it's I th I've seen Cancelo more comfortable on the left, and this is not a Barcelona thing. This goes back to Manchester City. This goes back to Juventus. Like he, even though he's right footed, he's a quote unquote natural right back. But when he plays on the other side, especially going forward because he's so good with the ball, he's go so good at going at defenders, he's right-footed, so he's playing as a left winger. He's able to cut inside for the most part, and we've seen him have wonderful games under Pep Guardiola and Manchester City as a left-back. I think, I mean, if there's a Manchester City fan watching this or a Barcelona fan that watches every Manchester City game, I think he was more effective under Pep Guardiola as a left back. I don't have the stats right here, but I would risk it saying that he had way more of an impact as a left back instead of a right back. So Cancelo is, he's a jack of all trades. And I think Xavi is finding out throughout the season as we go, how are you able to get the best out of Cancelo, which is really, really good, and at the same time, try to limit what he's not hes not great at, which is, let's be honest, defensively, not necessarily one-on-one, -on -one, because I think one-on-one -on -one he's good, but Fine. I think tactically he's, he's a right-back, he's a, a left-back, right-back, like If you if you if we look throughout the history of great historical left backs or right backs, they're better at attacking than they are at defending. And I think with Cancelo is no different, especially tactically. You see that sometimes positionally, he's lost. Like he, if you look at the back four, who's the one that is not where he's supposed to be? Joao Cancelo. So I think that. This is taking Xavi a little bit of tweaking like like in the lab, like putting a little bit of like mm -hmm. a teardrop here, a teardrop there, and seeing the pros and cons. So I think we're, what, almost December now? So I think Xavi's still tweaking with Cancelo and all the things that he can bring to this team in all different shapes and sizes with formations. Well, I think that there is vindication for Xavi, to your point that the pass for the assist for Jao Felix's goal, Balde doesn't have that in his bag. That 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 pass in to, or even the, the one-two working with Felix, uh, Jao Felix like that, it just Balde doesn't have that. So there is vindication that Xavi made the right choice in going Cancelo over Balde here. And I want to quickly say about Balde that he's 20 years old and that, like, not say that this has been a sophomore slump, this is his third season, but I mean, or no, it's the second season. Yeah, so he, he stepped in as a starter last season. So it's the second season. They figured him out a little bit and he's 20 years old and he just has to improve. And I'm not worried about Balde at all. I mean, yes, quickly things can fall apart on you. But if Xavi decided, hey, against Atletico Madrid on the weekend, we're going to repeat that and go Cancelo and Araujo, then you do that. Because I think especially with a back four, the goal that Porto scored, and people can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is what I think happened, that the ball comes forward on the right side for Barcelona in one of the rare moments when Araujo goes up to support Rafinha. 
So Araujo is the right back has come forward, which means, I, I mean, I'm no, the, 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 what is it? That astrology or the Zodiac, like the, uh, the Libra, the scales, like I, you know, I, I, I'm no whiz with all that stuff, but I do know the scales get a bit unbalanced. If your right back goes forward, then maybe you need to drop somebody in a bit deeper. But De Young and Gunawan and Pedri had said they were still trying to figure out in that first half where we all need to be. And they didn't seem to know where for each other they were going to support one another. So Cancelo, though, I noticed was like, also, what are you doing over there? You need to be defending a little bit in case this one comes out to a counter. So Cancelo was too high when Araujo pushed forward, which he rarely did, which meant that, you know, people are saying, well, Frankie De Young got caught flat-footed at that back post. But where was Cancelo? That, is, that, that was Cancelo's man that De Young had dropped in to try to defend. So I'm not defending De Young. He was also caught flat-footed. In the same way that because Kunde lost that foot race on that long ball forward, Kunde, he was a bit too far forward or he didn't turn his hips properly. So that's one mistake. Kunde gets basically outrun for the ball. So Inigo Martinez comes over. And instead of stepping in or even, I mean, committing a foul, he would have got some kind of card. You don't want to play that game. But since he got turned inside out by Galeno, the one big mistake defensively by Inigo Martinez in the game, now he's got by both center backs. <laughs> Galeno is now on the inside, coming to the middle. And then, I mean, even it took a, a rebound and a deflection. So a bit of good luck for Porto to get that goal. But a lot had to go wrong. So I said, like, Araujo and Cancelo, if that's what you're going to go with, Cancelo is your left back and Araujo with your right back, I'd say stick to that. Like, I know people say Araujo, Kunde, that would maybe be the discussion. But if, I, I mean, especially on that back line, I know Christensen wouldn't want to be a part of this, but Inigo Martinez has been the best defender since Kunde got hurt. It was Kunde in the first part of the year, and Araujo is still, yes, the best defender. But as far as who even helps you with those diagonal balls, who helps you offensively, who makes things happen, Kunde was good again before he got hurt, and he's been a shell since then. And Inigo Martinez, since he's really come in and got form, has been so important. His passing from the back has been the best of, of the entire unit, the way Christensen was last season, but he's not naturally left-footed the way Nico Martinez is, which again means that you don't have to drop in Gundogan or Pedri to receive to get that ball over to Rafinha. Instead, it could go right from the left foot from Nico Martinez all the way over to Rafinha in one jump. You don't, or you don't have to get it back to Inaki Pena or Ter Stegen to push that ball forward. You can get it right off the foot of Inigo Martinez, which I think opens up a lot of what Barcelona would like to do, building up from the back and using that direct play where you don't have to worry about your midfielders kind of getting caught in no man's land. Because again, that was the issue that in the first half, all three midfielders, including on the goal, were just caught in no man's land. So I think if you're Xavi, I would stick to it. Kinsella worked at left back, Araujo worked at right back, Kunde and Inigo Martinez. I mean, maybe you rotate Kunde for Christensen if that's what you want to do or you move Araujo back in, but I, then who are you going to play right back against Atletico Madrid? I think that's what you do. I think you stick with it. It worked for this game and they've got to figure those things out. Cancelo, Araujo, and that four with the Nigger Martinez and Kunde, they just don't have enough reps together. They've all been, except for Cancelo, they've all been hurt for too many different times throughout the season. You need continuity back there. And Inaki uh, Pena, by the way, great game for him against Porto, and you're losing your continuity because Ter Stegen's not even back there and likely won't, back, won't, won't be back for Atletico Madrid. But Inaki Pena was good enough against Porto that I do trust him against Atletico Madrid. I'll say this. We got to give, like, before I go to Inaki, as, as far as the back line goes, I, I'm old school in this aspect. Your best technique, I know Inigo is playing amazing. Kunde was our best defender until he got hurt. I completely agree that since he came back, he has been a shell of himself. So right now, November 29th, I put my best defender in the middle. I put Araujo with 
Inigo. And then I know that Kunde didn't want to play as a right back, yada, yada. But if I'm Xavi, I go up to Kunde. I'm like, yo, I, I gave in and put you in, in a central area for the most part so far this season. And I've shipped Araujo to a position that, let's be fair, for the most part, he only excels at when he's having to defend Vinicius. So... For this game against Atletico Madrid and onward, I put Araujo in the middle. Kunde, you go on the right. Whether you like it or not, this is going to be, I don't know, for a few games. But to me, we're way, like Araujo on the right is completely wasted because I love Araujo. This jersey right now, it says Araujo on the back. But we all know his limitations with the ball at his feet. So... Putting him as a right back, one, I get scared every time he makes a sprint on that right wing because he, we know, sadly, he's very injury prone. And then on top of that, teams do that on purpose. And if we put Araujo as our right back, or even if we play three at the back and he's at right center back-ish, Simeone isn't dumb. He's going to rotate everybody so that our only way out is with Ronald Araujo. He's going to do that on purpose. And I think that is Xavi should be smarter than that. And one, we benefit from having Araujo right down the freaking middle where he's the best probably center back in the world. And two, we counter that because even though Kunde is not Dani Alves as a right back, but he's better with the ball at his feet than Araujo is. So I think we should do that. And then, again, I don't want to miss on Iñaki Peña because we got to give him his flowers. He saved Barcelona in that first half. If it wasn't for Iñaki Peña, I have no idea how many scores Porto, how many goals Porto score. One, two, three, I don't know. But he rose up to the occasion, and that was one of the big questions going in. Because we know what the Galatasaray Iñaki Peña was able to do. We know what he did against Barcelona in the Europa League. But now Iñaki Peña, the backup goalkeeper at Barcelona, we didn't know how he was going to able to how he was going to handle the pressure of this. This was a final. We this was yeah. a must-win game for us with their staking out. We're not playing well whatsoever. It's at Monjuic, all these things piling up. And it wasn't like, yeah, we won, but Iñaki didn't have any work at all. That first half, he was Marc-André Ter Stegen-esque, saving us with three or four amazing saves. So kudos to Iñaki Peña because when he's coming in, in the past, as a Barcelona backup goalkeeper and ha hasn't done well, he's been fairly criticized. So I think it's only fair that when he has an amazing game at such an important moment, we can't be like, oh, yeah, he had a good game and that's it. No, we got to pound on it. He was freaking amazing. So Iñaki Peña, I know you watch the Barcelona podcast. Thank you very much. You were amazing. Yeah, Inaki Pena, I do trust him against Atletico Madrid, but to your point, it's going to be a, a tough task to try to figure out how they're going to do. I mean, I, again, I'm with the continuity, and I even look back to the goal as I, I got another question for you coming up in a second, but even the 1-1 that was scored, I mean, I said on the pot, I mean, on the five headlines, but I'll repeat it here again today, too, that 
that goal scored, it's it's Gunawan with De Young to supporting him. So Gunawan's on the ball. He lays off to Pedri. It's a switch of play over to Cancelo. He beats one man. And then because there are five total Barca shirts in the box, because Jao Felix was crashing, Lewandowski had dropped a bit deeper to extend, Gundogan then pushed forward to make the run into the box, and Rafinha was up on the far post waiting for a cross. So all those bodies in the box for Barcelona, they, they crashed. Like, they did the, what you're supposed to do. They didn't just stand around and watch and wait for, like, their moment or the ball to come to feet. They just kind of wanted to make something happen. And so all Cancelo had to do was beat one man, and then a shooting lane opened up. It was poor defending by Porto, but how easy that seemed to be that Gunawan and Pedri were near each other enough for that little layoff. And again, that, that second man, because of the way that Gunawan ch- turned his body to lay it off to Pedri, meant that Pedri had the, the room to then shoot that diagonal ball over to Cancelo, who was open to receive. And just like that first goal that scored, it's just, it's so simple. It's so easy. And I just like, I watch it and I go, why don't they do that every time? Like, I, I know Porto made a mistake, but just like all five attackers including going to win again, making the late run were active, including the left back. Like, it's just like, just go towards the goal <laughs> and I, your players are good enough to make it happen. I think it's very simple. Our wingers, except for, I mean, Yaman who's 16 years old are not wingers are go by people. One-on-one as crazy as that sounds. because Rafinha yeah. doesn't go by anybody. I, I got to check his birth certificate. All of them, Jao Felix, Rafinha, they get by, people at least once like they can get by one guy once or twice or three times a game and so when that happens when those moments occur then what is everybody else doing to set your team up it's almost like they're doing what you're doing where it's just like it feels like Lewandowski sometimes watching him is like well Rafinha is not going to get by him so why do I have to make a run to the near post if Rafinha is not going to meet the defender right it's it just seems to me that sometimes the movement of the teammates are like why well, don't but, think but that's what happen. I want to get at it we don't have wingers that consistently go by their defender. Uh, that I, I fixed it there. Because, yeah, Rafinha can go by somebody once or twice, but consistently, when you see Rafinha, I'm thinking he's not going to be able to get by that player more often than not. Like, for example, Dembele was a specialist at, even though, obviously, then his end product was what it was. Exactly. <laughs> Ferran, the same thing. Ferran might go by somebody once or twice, but you're not thinking every time Ferran gets the ball on the wing that he's going to be able to go by his mark the same way, let's say, Vinicius or a Chukwese. I was watching the Milan game. Like, you see Chukwese, I don't have the stats, but I'm like, Chukwese is somebody that I'm confident he's more often than not going to blow by his defender. So because we don't have those type of players and the only one that we have is 16 years old, then to me, That's one of the big, big problems that we have in our attack, that a system a system with Xavi that relies so, relies so much. And then the, also the Barcelona way, like historically, Barcelona have good wingers one-on-one. And, and I think that that's our problem, especially in today's game where your rivals are daring you, like we're going to mark you one-on-one basically everywhere so we're gonna we're gonna challenge you if you want to do something all your players whether they're midfielders or forwards you're gonna have to go by man by my man if not you're not gonna have a passing lane or option or whatnot and you think about our attack Lewandowski he's not going by anybody 
He seems really lazy. He's not making runs. There was one play where I was really mad at him because he was all throwing his heesy fits because he wasn't getting the ball. And then that was when Ferran came in. It was a long ball. Ferran yeah. uh, went went short, and you knew Ferran was going to flick that ball backwards. So Lewandowski was just walking nonchalant and was offside by the time Ferran flicked that ball back. And everybody in the stadium, as that ball was in the air, knew that Ferran was going to flick it back. And Lewandowski was like a prima donna. I was like, I'm not getting onside. Stan let him let him hear that. And I think that is the, the tough thing with Lewandowski, right? It's just like, we can criticize him. Like, we're allowed to do that. Like, he needs to be better. He knows he needs to be better. Like, when you sign Robert Lewandowski, you are signing, I mean, 85% of the player that he has been for Bayern Munich. And he, he was that last season. But he's an all-time legend. So he just, he's got to be better. <laughs> you know, he's one of the best players of this generation. And it's this weird thing, which is like, it, there is, with Lewandowski especially, there is space between ship him off to Saudi Arabia and his career is over the top level and why isn't Robert Lewandowski scoring 900 goals the way he did at Bayern Munich? And there is somewhere in that spectrum that he needs to live. I am not saying sell him. I, I, I've explained before with his contract and listener questions shows what I think his timeline is. You know, I still think he'll be around. It's also going to be up to the club as well. And I think he'll find his proper time to go out. But yes, Barcelona need more from Robert Lewandowski. He has not been good since the second half of last season. And I think it's long enough to wonder, does he just not have it anymore? But I also don't believe that. With his body language and everything, like you can see there's frustration with him too. Like he's frustrated. He's upset. Like, so of all the, criti of all the criticism we're giving him, he's aware. Like he knows what he is right now and he wants to be better. And Barcelona should hope that it happens soon. And the, the, t the tough argument is that it's, it, is, it is, I don't know the way it's always been though. Like, I mean, we talked about 124 years. Your guy up top, the guy who scores goals, historically, ever, it doesn't matter. Go back to Stanley Matthews and the first Ballon d'Or winner and his days at Sunderland, whatever. The guy, the guy up top, that guy starts until he's old and broken or until he says, don't start me anymore. Like, that's what happens, you know? Like, those are the guys that they're out of form. They're this, they're that. Like, you, you, can't, you can't pull them. I mean... I mean, that's why, like, the Pep Guardiola, Zlatan Ibrahimovic feud, we're still talking about that. Because he came in, he was supposed to be that guy, and it didn't work out. And he said, no, I want that tiny Argentine to be that guy instead. And you see what happened there. Then even Samuel Eto, right? He had to then fall back in line with Guardiola. But he started throughout that. Of all of the consternation, like, Eto was still the guy. As much as they were just like, I hate you, I hate you. And Eto was still, it's still starting. So it's just like, the guys are the guys at the number nine position. And that is what Lewandowski is going to be until he figures this out or is out of the club. I, I, think, the, it's, like, I think it's a mixture of both. I think we're not fitting him enough balls. I completely agree. He was used to, like, he was used to getting service at Bayern for almost everywhere on the pitch. Alfonso Davies, then below Mueller, then play from the wings, Ribery, Robin back in the day, then Coman, Navri. Like he was, he was getting fed from everywhere. Now he's not. And I agree that's a Barcelona, that's a shabby problem. That's one part. But also he's not helping himself because he's so stationary. He's like... I'm not making those runs. I'm Robert Lewandowski. I'm 35. I don't need to make him anymore. So that's why I'm praying that Pito Hockey, I hope I got it. I got the right Brazilian accent. He comes in 
January. None. I don't know how good Vito Roque is gonna be necessarily, but I think we need him so bad because he's such a dynamic forward that never stops running, always makes the, these runs constantly. All the things that Lewandowski, for whatever reason, is not doing right now. And if you look at it historically, like at least historically in what the last 20 years, the strikers that have really excelled at Barcelona for a long period of time are really dynamic forwards that constantly run, constantly make runs. Samuel Eto, a guy that never stopped running, Slatan came in. That was a problem. We don't know what happened. He was more of a stationary forward. Obviously, Slatan. I mean, still scoring a goal. Exactly. But in the Barcelona ecosystem, didn't work. Messi then as a false nine. Obviously, it's different than it thought, but it was, again, a dynamic-ish forward. Then a guy named Luis Suarez, who obviously never stopped running until he got older and didn't want to run. But back in his heyday, always making runs left and right behind the defense. We need those type of players. So I think maybe Vitor Roque lights a you-know-what a you know what of Lewandowski's you-know-what because he's going to come in. I don't know how good Vitor Roque is going to be, but I can guarantee you that his work rate is going to be Rafinha-esque, whether he ends up scoring goals or not. But he's going to give us, at least work rate-wise, what Lewandowski is not giving us right now. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Even if he, as a center forward, comes in, because again, do not expect Vitor Roque to come in hit, hitting the ground running. He's played a long Brazilian season. He played a lot, a lot of minutes. Like that kid, if anything, should just kind of sit on the sideline and train for six months because you're going to burn him out like every other teenager gets burnt out and injured and stuff. And yeah, Ansu Fati out for three months more due to an injury, but don't want to talk about it. But anyway, Vitor Roque, if he could at least come in for the last 10 to 15 minutes of most games and spell Lewandowski, right? Because again, Lewandowski at his age is just playing too many minutes. Like, I mean, the, the body breaks down. Like, you cannot play that many minutes. We're looking at Luka Modric and Benzema in his last season at Real Madrid. Like, there's just a lot of minutes on the legs. And I think Lewandowski would do well. I, very much like I was just talking with uh, Roman last week about teenagers and their minutes. That, like, if you could limit your teenage players to, like, 2,000 minutes or less a season, that would do wonders to extend their career. Especially those young Brazilians. Because those young Brazilians are playing 5,000 minutes before they're 21 years old. And the longer it takes them to even come over, the more first team minutes they've played in difficult situations. Okay, last few things before we go. I know there's still a lot to go, and I'm probably premature on this, but by the time you're on the show next, I'd like to hear your opinion about this. There's a lot of teams that Barcelona could face here in the knockouts as far as who their round of 16 opponent could be. 
So a lot of names. And when you hear one, maybe jump just jump in with it or remember it. So from Group A, it could have been Copenhagen, Galatasaray, Manchester United. I'll say that again. Copenhagen, Galatasaray, Manchester United. PSV, Napoli, Braga, Inter Milan if they finish second. Lazio if they finish second. Dortmund, PSG, Newcastle, AC Milan. I know, no, 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 no one from there. And then RB Leipzig. So even that in totality, other than that group of death that we talked about, Dortmund, PSG, Newcastle, AC Milan, and yeah, there's Inter Milan if they finish second. And yes, Napoli is good and da 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 da. But I mean, none of those names, like all of those teams, just like Barcelona, are fundamentally flawed. Like we're not talking, fortunately, like there have been no like, how do I say this, real like upsets. Like the, the group winners have been the group winners. And the number twos are likely going to be teams that Barcelona should say, hey, they're about on our level. So none of those names in, in totality truly, truly scare me. I mean, right now, a lot of them do scare me. Again, we have to remind yeah. ourselves. Champions League should The scare round me. of 16 is in February. February. We have no idea how teams are going to get to up so, to that stage. Who's going to be injured? How well a team like, we don't know. Maybe in January, Xavi turns this team around and we're playing wonderfully. We don't know. But right now, with the way we're playing November 3rd, 30, well, right now it's November 30. It's, uh, at least for me, a lot of them scared me because I was, on paper, I wasn't scared about Porto. I mean, I know they're a good team, yada, yada, but we got outplayed over there in Porto, and the first half at Monjuic was horrible. So out of 180 minutes, we played more than half of it they were better, in my opinion, at least football-wise, they were better than us for the majority of it. So if we're talking about Porto that way, then an RB Leipzig with Openda and Xavi Simons up top, then maybe they could create like I don't know. It's just that I don't trust the team right as of right now. Yeah. So what? if I will have to Braga, let's say I would like Braga, for example. But the reason I bring that up is because this week, this week, we'll say weekend, and then the following week, so by December 10th, because Atletico Madrid and Girona, there is a chance this season, it, it would seem negative if you said it at the start of the year, but that Xavi could do better in the Champions League this year than he does in the Liga. And that could be decided this weekend and next weekend. So Atletico Madrid, and they're a weird thing too, because I feel like most Liga fans aren't really watching Atletico Madrid as much. And I have to admit, I, no, but it's like, I will admit this. I have seen Real Madrid, Girona, and Las Palmas way more times than I've seen Atletico Madrid. Because it's true. If you're asking me to sign up for Atletico Madrid against Alaves, I'm like, I don't want to do that. Like, I know I know people are very excited about Antoine Griezmann, and it's been the redoing of Seoul. And I will watch highlights, and I will try to figure out as much as I can before the five headlines and all that before the match this weekend. But even as we prepared for this podcast, I'm looking at it. Young midfielder Pablo Barrios will be out for a bit with a meniscus tear. But that 3-4-2-1 Christmas tree with Atletico Madrid under Diego Simeone, I know they're a little more attacking this year. It all flows through Antoine Griezmann through the middle. And a lot of it does happen through the middle. And then they're defensively sound. And as simple as it is, Atletico Madrid recently, Barcelona have gotten results when they've just been more talented than them. And Atletico Madrid... Again, their system seems to work because they have more talent than other teams they usually play. And I know it seems reductive and like really easy to kind of break down this rivalry, 
but that's what it feels like to me. These are two really, really good teams. And if Barcelona say, all right, we're going to let us, we're going to let you Atletico Madrid kind of dictate, we're going to play your game. They're going to lose that match. But if Barcelona, even winning by the narrow defensive minded Xavi ways, even if they batten down the hatches and get an early goal or anything like that, I think Barcelona have the necessary talent to win this match. Because I, I can't think of a time when Antoine Griezmann, can you think of it in a, this version of Atletico Madrid since Barcelona? I don't think he's really taken it to Barcelona. If anything, that's like one of the teams he struggles against going back against Barcelona. Knock on wood. Knock on wood, but I'm saying up to this point. It, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Uh, he's been amazing if it's not a Barcelona team. I mean, that he's playing against. I mean, especially no last year he killed. I'll be, I hope, I hope you're right. But right now I'm so pessimistic with this team that I wish I wasn't because I'm. Yeah, they're worse on form Atletico Madrid. I'm not saying they're the favorite. I'm like Girona and Atletico Madrid have been better than Barcelona this season. I'm not denying that. I agree with you. And 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 that that's why like I do agree. Obviously, we have more talent and and all of that. But it's been I would say a big sample size this season of how bad we've played for the most part, whether we've gotten the result or not. That it I don't know. We might show up and play amazing like we did against Real Madrid for the most part. In that game, and then people will be like, "Oh, you Rafa, what the hell were you saying in the in the, in the podcast and whatnot?" But if we're going back, what did people say that to you? No, no, no. But just say, yeah. <laughs> but uh, if I go by recent games and recent, I mean the last what five six games, I'm not optimistic that it's just that. Ugh, uh, I I. I don't want to say the H word, but I really dislike Simeone and his team. And it's just so annoying to play against them because they're good at defending when they have to. And then it's like, obviously they play to their strengths. They defend and then they try to hit you on the counter. So when you don't score first, which we don't seem to be doing at all this season for the most part, if if they score first, it falls right into their plan because they're just able to sit back, absorb, absorb, and then hit you again on the counter. Well, they've also been better just, uh, with the ball as well this year. Koke has come back from injury, and they've resettled that. And then Alex Witzel, who's been for many, many years a defensive midfielder, he's been playing at center back in that back three. And Hermoso finally seems comfortable in that system too. Again, I've, I've seen them one and a half times you know, with a half eye on the other one that I watched, but in, even in the game that I saw with Witzel at the back, they're much more composed with the ball. So this could be an Atletico Madrid team that has much more possession than you're used to. And Barcelona, it's going to feel like 50-50. And I, what I will say, though, Atletico Madrid, this version of Atletico Madrid, there will be moments. And like any big match and every big game that Barcelona has, just like El Clasico, this game will come down to the moments. And if Barcelona finish their chances and win the moments, they're going to win the game. And it's again, it's so silly because just like against Porto, if Jao Felix and Rafinha finish more chances, they win 5-1. What are we talking about, right? And it's like, oh, Xavi fixed everything. And it's like, it's so difficult. Atletico Madrid, uh, you know, I, I, the, the way I'd view it, that and Girona, just like his Porto match, I don't know how much we learn about Xavi's Barcelona. I'm putting quotes for those listening. I don't know how much we learn about the big picture and everything. This match is about three points in a way that just some others aren't that are, you know, a, a project that you're trying to build. This team is just as talented as you. 
So you just have to get the three points. Just figure it out, and we'll worry about building whatever we're trying to build later on. And yeah, if there are good things to say, sure. But if you finish your chances, you can win against Atletico Madrid. Barcelona is talented enough to do that. But to your point, it's easy to be very pessimistic that they will not finish their chances because, yeah, Barcelona have not finished their chances for the last, yeah, I mean, this season, two months. So uh, anyway, let's get out before it's one hour, uh, depending on how long it takes me to edit this and all that stuff. So, of course, where can people find you? Adam Lee Football, I said it for you. But I need to Aldemui Football, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. Obviously, the content varies a little depending on the platform, whether it's more Barcelona-related or Puerto Rico football, reggaeton artists with with football players. Again, it's it's very – if you like Barcelona, it's basically TikTok, Twitter, and um, YouTube. And you if you like – I wrapped. You got your Spotify wrapped uh... – today right i did i did and uh go right. figure the top four of the top five are reggaeton artists bad yeah. bunny's number one i uh you can't i was gonna guess i was gonna guess bad bunny of course it's bad bunny mora um, uh, i forgot but they're also tiny which is a producer in his album he has a lot of bad bunny songs so yeah i'm from puerto rico i listen to reggaeton a lot so yeah go figure but yeah i'm helping hey i I pay my Spotify premium, so I am helping my club fund, hopefully, in the 2025 Erling Haaland. I'm still on that. Uh, I haven't given up. So, so yeah, you can find me everywhere. I love my football. Dreams are what it's made of. I do want to thank everybody that listens to the show at all times throughout the season and throughout the years because, yeah, Spotify wrapped. For multiple seasons now, people send me that. It's fun day for me, at least to host the show, because we wind up being in the top five of a bunch of people Spotify wrapped, and that is always humbling, always cool when I see some big podcasts that people are listening to, and then they listen to, to us as well. So that's always cool. So thanks to everybody that had us in your uh, in anywhere in your top five of Spotify wrapped. And for those watching on YouTube and all that stuff, subscribe to him, to me, follow us everywhere you can follow us. And as always, until next time, we're the Barca. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.